Good evening and welcome to Heroes 101 Radio, your one-stop shop for inspirational and motiva- motivational news, if I could get my words out. That's, that's not a good start. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll airbrush that one out. Um, so I am the guy that they call Spectre from uh, the New York Initiative. And, uh, you know, I'm normally joined by uh, my lovely co-host on the West Coast, uh, the lovely Rock and Roll from San Francisco. But actually, Rock and Roll's uh, not feeling too good tonight. So I've actually been joined by one of our, our longtime listeners and, and regular guest on the show from Geek Power Radio. I've got my friend here, uh, Danimator, also from San Francisco. Welcome. Hey, man. what's going on there, Spectre? Yeah, it's all good. So, you know, I, I wanted to do a quick recap before we dive into into this week's topic. Um, last week's show, uh, actually, sorry, last week's show, two weeks ago, we did a show on the Warrior Dash, which, uh, you know, if um, if you're listening into this for the first time and wondering who the heck we are, we'll, we'll talk about who we are in a second. But if you want to hear a show where we had a really, really good time and just talked to some awesome people and generally just had a blast. The, the Warrior Dash show is one to give a listen to. Um, this was an event where we went out to um, to uh, Nashville in Tennessee, um, a whole bunch of us from the real-life superhero community as well as a, a bunch of other groups got together, um, did a mud run for a, a, a cancer hospital, a children's cancer hospital, St. Jude's, um, and uh, we we just found out today, actually, that we just had a recent donation that put us over $75,000 raised over the last four years, which is uh, oh, right. pretty damn impressive. That <laughs> and, is amazing. You know, if Congratulations. If here on the soundboard, he'd, he'd do like an applause thing then. But <laughs> Oh, is that right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, you know, we, the Warrior Dash episode was a great one. Um, oh, well, look at that. I, like I managed it. to have a soundboard in front of me. I don't know what to do with those. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, though, last last Tuesday we were due to have a show. We actually postponed it for the primary reason that we wanted to eat a hell of a lot of sushi. And um, we ended up posting a video from the sushi restaurant, Rock and I and, and Nightbug and the guys, um, eating a mountain of sushi in uh, Alameda in, in California. Um but, uh, you know, last week was, was kind of nuts. So I was out in San Francisco working with the guys there. Um, and as you know, uh, Danimator, I, I know you were involved in some of it, but uh, just in no particular order, within within a few days, we um, actually, as pretty much as soon as I got off the plane, we held a street boutique, which is uh, an awesome yeah. event. For those people who haven't seen it before, the, the idea is you collect up a whole bunch of clothes, a whole bunch of food for homeless people in San Francisco, you you, uh, you have a whole bunch of um, coat hanger and kind of uh, clothes rack things. Um, take them down to a specific area where we know these folks hang out and, and essentially hold like a, a market stall giving away clothes and food, but for nothing. Um, and essentially give homeless people some items and still still allow them to retain some dignity uh, despite the fact that they're, you know, they're getting things for free. Um, which right, is, right. You know, which I think is pretty awesome. Um, <clears throat> you know, on that one, the, the uh, San Francisco Police Department didn't agree that it was awesome and ended up moving us along, but uh, we still managed to help a ton of homeless people that day, which was pretty cool. Um, right. Yeah, so, that was you know, something else. Yeah. So, you know, we did the, the street boutique. We performed um, as a band at East Bay Scream Fest, so a horror movie festival where we performed with a, a, a Tom Waits cover band, which was uh, blew my mind. That was so much fun. Um, on the Sunday, we um, we did a charity walk for lupus with Tanya's Army. Tanya's one of the uh, the super heroin initiative members um, who's suffered from lupus for many years and is is just a dynamo of energy uh, promoting and raising money for for lupus sufferers. 
And we did two needle pickups and, and uh, took almost 100 uh, used needles off of the streets of San Francisco. Um, plus, I'm sure, a bunch of other stuff that I forget because it was such a whirlwind. But uh, that, that was a fun week. <laughs> you had a very full week, sir. My goodness. <laughs> and I, I hate to admit that I was also there for work as well, but uh, let's not even mention that side of things. Yeah, who cares about that stuff? Yeah, yeah, that's just the day job. <laughs> um, so, so anyway, so who are we? Um, so we are a group now known as the Initiative Collective, uh, used to be known as the Hero Initiative, and for various boring reasons, we uh, recently changed back to the Initiative Collect- Collective. Um, but our primary role is around uh, community outreach work. So we do, as I just mentioned, we do a lot of work around uh, homeless outreach. We do free self-defense seminars, uh, needle pickup patrols, public safety patrols, um, trash cleanups in parks, um, essentially whatever we feel it is in our own local respective communities that we can uh, do to make that community a better place, um, uh, which is all well and good. But, you know, one thing that we haven't regularly touched on in this show is, is environmental issues. And it seems to me that, you know, what, what good is it worrying about the people if you don't worry about the environment that those people rely on? Um, all right, yeah. So, <laughs> and, yeah, sorry, man, I'm babbling. I'm... Uh, taking over your, your airtime but uh <laughs> no no you're you're the host man you're the host <laughs> i'm just here to ask interesting questions <laughs> oh please do anything i can think you know of. What? I, I feel like i'm i'm something of a noob when it comes to uh environmental issues and uh, uh rather ill-informed but you know to, to be honest this kind of show is therefore cool for me and that i, I actually learned something so you know without further ado let me introduce then our guest um so our guest, and, and this is a pretty impressive resume, but our guest here is um, a board member for, for SAFE, which is the Southern Illinoisans Against Fracturing Our Environment, uh, a founder and a co-founder of the Shawnee Sentinels and a co-chair of the uh, the Hartwood Forest Council. So uh, let me introduce, without further ado, Tabitha Tripp. Welcome. Well, thanks for having me on. Thank you for being here. Hey, and, uh, oh, hey, there's that applause. That's nice. I like it. <laughs> so, um, so Tabitha, you know, you were actually introduced to us by uh, by Tree Song, who heads up our um, our Illinois initiative and, and does actually probably, you know, the most um, environmental activism work out of any of the initiative branches. Um, but... Um, you know, Treeson kind of introduced you to us to talk about fracking in particular, but um, I'm aware that you do, you know, a lot more than just fracking. I, d- I just wondered if you could maybe talk to us about um, what you do now and how you got into that kind of field. Well, um, I seem to be a jack of all trades at the moment, and um, I work on various issues and infrastructure issues that kind of surround extreme energy extraction. And um, I got into that because um, primarily I felt that my my family and the, the home that I created with my partner uh, was being threatened by hydraulic fracturing coming to Southern Illinois. Hmm. And and you know when you say when you say infrastructure issues, um, you know I guess the the um, and without you know I guess we're going to talk about fracking in a lot more detail. But um, my you know my understanding was the damage that that does to the water supply. But uh, when when you say you know infrastructure issues, how does how does how does that manifest in your area? 
Well, what we're looking at is a massive expansion of pipelines through the Midwest to refineries on the coast. And um, that we see as if you can stop infrastructure, you can potentially halt what's happening um, back at the at the frontline communities because if they don't have a way to get their products to market, then you know maybe we can keep a little bit more of that oil and coal in the ground. That's that's the main goal. Right, and and I mean for you, for yourself personally, um, did you? I mean, have you got like a, a background in any kind of training or education in in these kind of environmental activism uh, topics, or is is this something that you just got into? Uh, uh, just vocationally. Well, um, let's see. I went to school to become a painter, so it really doesn't have anything to do with environmental activism. I um, got a degree as a bachelor of fine arts at the local university, um, well, like back in 1996, I think it was, and, and the. There's there's a couple different kind of events. Up until about four years ago, I would consider myself one of those people that thought that changing light bulbs and recycling was a good thing for the planet and that I called myself an environmentalist. Um, then, you know, I thought I'd step it up a notch and I became a checkbook environmentalist. And I started writing checks to the local not-for-profit organizations who were doing, quote-unquote, good work. But then when I learned about um, fracking, it was a much different level of becoming um, an environmentalist, like putting action behind words. It was becoming an activist versus somebody who cared about what was happening to their environment. So, um, you know, when we, when I talk about, I mean, we need all kinds of environmentalists from, from the people who recycle to the people who are writing checks to the people that are actually on the boots on the ground. Um, there just needs to be more boots on the ground. So. Right. And then that's funny, you know, one of our, one of our mottos in the initiative collective is do something. It's really, you know, everybody, everybody's fine to talk about things and care about things and worry about things. But as you say, until you actually start uh, being active in <laughs> putting the active in activism, it, you know, it's it's all for nothing, really. It, we love people who care, but we, we much prefer people who do something. Right, right. And so, you know, it kind of threw me headlong into learning not only about what it meant to get involved with nonviolent direct action, but it also meant learning and becoming very much involved with the political system and the legislative branches in Illinois, and even on the local level, working at the, at the county government level. So, um, you know, you can, there's a full range, a full spectrum that people can jump in and start to, as you said, do something. Right, right. Well, I was curious. I mean, you know, the, the episode, you know, name here is is fracking the truth. And honestly, you know, I I know what fracking is. That's because I I kind of went on a journey, uh, watching lots of documentaries, specifically uh, Gasland, which is amazing. But I think a lot of people still aren't clear what the heck fracking is. 
So maybe you could break well, that down. Well, I'm glad you could. I would love to. And I go under the assumption that a lot of people, um, since I've been working really hard in Illinois to educate people about what fracking is, you know, for the most part, I it's it's completely um, enveloped in my world. So I, I make the assumption that most people know. But I think the, you know, I can go on and on and on, give you the really long-winded answer to it. But the short answer is, and a mom at the state capitol, after asking me, she goes, no, just give me the short version. I said, well, you take lots and lots of water, mix it with some chemicals and inject it in the ground, and you suck up a bunch of oil, and that's fracking. And she goes, so, the simple, simple answer is you're poisoning water to get oil. And yeah. like, yeah, that's the process. And so, you know, what there's also two ways to define what hydraulic fracturing is. And many times what I encountered is the industry's definition versus the activist definition. Industry's definition of fracturing, fracking, is the actual act of when the, the um, productive layer, the geological layer, fractures open to release the hydrocarbon. The yeah. activist definition of hydraulic fracturing is the entire process from cradle to grave. It is the mining of the silica frac sand from hills in the Midwest and Iowa and northern Illinois and Wisconsin, shipping that to the location to which they're going to actually frack for gas or oil. And mixing that sand with water, copious amounts of water, I've seen up to 8 million gallons of water per frack, and adding about 2 to 4% of some proprietary chemical mixture into that, and using high pressure, high volume pressure with diesel compressor engines, drill a, a hole into the earth. And they go down to the layer which they think is going to have the, the hydrocarbons in it, which is anywhere between, in Illinois, it's about 4,000 feet to 15,000 feet. In other places, it could be up to a mile deep. But then they take the wellbore and they turn it at a 90-degree angle and they go horizontal, hence the name horizontal hydraulic fracturing, along the hydrocarbon layer. Then they inject all those chemicals in sand, prop open the um, shale bed, suck it back out. Then at that point, it gets um, sorted out, separated into the gases, into the liquid hydrocarbons. And then it gets, I, some of it gets burned off immediately, as you do in the Dakotas. Some of it gets shipped off right away. Some of it gets put into pipes. And the leftover residuals, the wastewater, gets re-injected back into the ground. So the process for the activist is from cradle to grave. And, you know, when it gets all the way to the refinery, it's not just that one little act of popping open a shale layer to extract the hydrocarbons. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah I think so. absolutely. <laughs> I, I had forgotten so many details from that documentary, and now all these, all, it's all come flooding back to me. And questions I have in my head, which is like, so what happens to the water? Like millions of gallons turns into what now? And like, <laughs> right. like well, what, I mean, just, it's just, one of the things that people don't realize is when you take that 
those high volumes of water and inject them into the ground, depending on the geological formation that you're going into, you may, I've seen an average in most places, 50% comes back to the surface. So 50% of that water is going to stay, water mixture, let's put it that way, is going to stay underground. But for the most part, only about 30% comes back up. So one of the one of the most aggravating things I hear from industry is that they say that they're recycling the wastewater. Okay. Yeah. Well, if that's only 30% that returns to the surface, you're really not recycling a whole lot of much of nothing. Yeah. And then so they take that wastewater, and some of the issues that you see um, in Oklahoma and Texas and Colorado and Ohio is they're taking that wastewater and they're re-injecting it into deep injection wells or class two injection wells. And those injection wells are causing earthquakes. Well, let me tell you, boys, I live in the middle of the New Madrid fault zone. Do you all remember the New Madrid? Probably not because it happened a long time ago. Um, but that is the, the earthquake that caused the Mississippi River to run backwards for three days. And that's where we live. So you can imagine how hard I fight not to have fracking happen in southern Illinois and or the injection wells. Wow. So let me <laughs> let me just reiterate that because that, oh, that that's insane. That sounds like science fiction to me, but it's actually causing earthquakes to the extent that it can make the Mississippi River run backwards for three days. That That is incredible. Well, okay, so the the New Madrid earthquake that happened in, in 1812 was so great a magnitude that, yes, it caused the Mississippi to, to move backwards. And there are some geologists that think that it's probably about time for the New Madrid earthquake to do this again, which scares the living daylights out of me. Um, but what we've done is we've altered the lithostatic pressure of the the land masses around us so much by doing so much hydraulic fracturing that we don't know if that's going to help it or hurt it. Right. And so there's Mm -hmm. a whole lot of questionable theories out there as to whether or not it's going to happen. But we see a whole lot of release happening in Oklahoma. They've had, I don't even know what the count is right now. Last count I saw was over 400 earthquakes for the year in Oklahoma. They never had earthquakes before, right? but they started doing injection wells, and now they have all kinds of earthquakes. Same with uh, Ohio. So, so is, all, is that a reason? I'm sorry. We all went at once. <laughs> it's so exciting. <laughs> Stack. <laughs> no, go ahead. Well, you know, I was I was going to follow up on, on what you were just saying. So, um it, I mean, I, I guess my knowledge of of drilling for, for you know for hydrocarbons is is very very limited. But is is the, the technique that they're using now, which is which, which is causing the, this uh, fracturing effect, is that a new technique? And and you know, was there a previous technique that was much uh, kinder to the environment, or has this always been the case? Well, um, so I'm, I like I said, I, I'm an art major, so I learned this by doing a lot of research. I did watch Gasland. That's how I got very passionately motivated 
um, into this movement. But um, one of the things that we frequently heard in the fight in Illinois was the fracking, this was the birthplace of hydraulic fracturing 60-something years ago. And when you go back and look at what there's, is that they were adding uh, chemicals to the water to make it slicker so that it, it would, um, was not, there was not so much friction in it when they were injecting it to the ground, to the well, to stimulate uh, oil production. Um, this is not your grandmother's fracking. This just is not. This is something completely different. And it was created um, with the help of a Halliburton. Right. So back, I don't know if uh, if you guys have, uh, Wiki is full of really interesting things. But um, when I first started researching this, um, I looked up the Halliburton loophole on Wiki. I don't know what it says now. Let me see if I can pull it up. But um, they removed Halliburton loophole. Um, as a wiki, I'm sure that Halliburton didn't like it. <laughs> um, but what they did in 1990, oh, geez, my dates are getting all messed up now. I've been at this too long. Um, in 2005, <laughs> is that right? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so tired. I was, I was fighting a pipeline early this morning, so I'm, I'm exhausted. But um, what happened was there was a private meeting in which um, Dick Cheney was part of, and he decided that, um, he was also a CEO of Halliburton, that he really wanted to pursue fracking. And he wanted to make this a really awesome thing happen. But the problem was when you're taking so much clean water and you're injecting them with such toxic chemicals, you're kind of really messing around with the Clean Water Drinking Act and the Safe Water Drinking Act. And um, and so what they did was they exempted hydraulic fracturing from um, applying, you know, having to go through these regulations of protecting water and air and a uh, few other things. What? Um, yeah, look up the Halliburton loophole. Is that still in effect then? Is that still what? Is that still in effect? Is that still, there's still an exam? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my definitely. God. The Policy Act of 2005 is, is redirected from the Halliburton loophole. Yeah. And I'm just, yeah. I'm just looking right off the, the, um, the wiki page. And so you, you can all look this up. I'm not making this crazy stuff up. Sure, sure. Um, but yes, it's still in effect. And um, it's something that uh, activists have been working really hard on is to repeal that so that we can go back instead of giving large energy companies this exemption. Yeah. Because I tell you what, if you went over to your neighbor's house and you dumped a whole bunch of diesel fuel right next to his water well, you would be arrested and you would be thrown in prison. Yeah, but and I mean, that's one of the most shocking visuals in that movie uh, for Gasland. And if you haven't seen it, I, is it still on Netflix? I don't know. You could probably find it for free online. But that's one of the most shocking visuals is when people put the lighter up to their, their kitchen faucet and it catches on fire because of the contamination of the gases. It's, it's shocking. It's horrifying. It's really scary. 
and it's and it's it's a criminal. It's it's, it's this is awful. <laughs> That's all I can say. That's all I can think. <laughs> right. Well, you can just like, why would anybody do that? Why would? It, what in the world are people thinking? You yeah. know, and it, it that that was motivating. Um, there were some uh, cases, or there was some, I guess, gossip that came about after that um, regarding whether or not those were factually accurate and these people had always had methane in their water and they could always light their water on fire. You know, I don't, Mm. whether they could, the sky is pink was a follow-up conversation that, that Josh Fox published after that. You can look up sky is pink and what Josh Fox does is he goes through and he points out with all his industry paperwork that he somehow or another got a hold of and he shows you all the loopholes he shows you the the casing failure rates it's six percent and in a hundred years it's a hundred percent of those whale casings failing that allow for the migration of methane into water supplies you know the water catching on fire is one thing. Let's talk about the chemicals that are in the water that are making people sick. That to me was the most heartbreaking part. You know, there were horses that were like covered with scabs and losing hair. I mean, horses that were dying. There were um, Terry Greenwood who came to Southern Illinois and spoke, um, talked about, you know, all the stillbirth baby cattle that were born, you know, they were born with cleft palates and blind eyes. And do you guys don't know Terry Greenwood? You probably don't. Um, he's from Pennsylvania. And he came over with uh, Ron Gula, who used to work for oil and gas industry. They both showed up in southern Illinois, and both of them had massive kidney stones to the point that Terry couldn't even make it to the first presentation. And... They, you know, their their digestive systems were mass have been exposed to nearby where fracking was happening. Terry Greenwood has since passed on from a massive brain tumor that was incurable, and this was all in a matter of five years. He goes from being a completely healthy man who has a great farm. He's retired. He's you know, he's ready to live out his golden years to being in the ground and being fertilizer for, you know, trees and grass. So can you, like, to me, that's just devastating that what is coming out of those frack pads, whether it's in the water supply or whether it's in the air, the volatile organic compounds that are being burned off and or created from the extraction of hydrocarbons, is killing people. And we want to talk about whether somebody can light their water on fire. I mean, I'm not saying that to you. I'm saying that to the people that want to debunk what Josh Fox was putting out there. It's like, no, let's get down to the nitty gritty. This is very, yeah. very dangerous. Wow. Sorry, I get and on the soapbox that, that and I just can't stop. No, I, I, I think that's... Uh, the- this is so box worth worth climbing on, but uh, you know, I, I I was going to ask because one of the things that I experienced when I started telling people that we were doing this show on fracking was, you know, I'd mentioned the the lighting your your tap water on fire, and uh, probably from more than fifty percent of the people I would tell that to, they'd respond immediately, oh yeah, that was proven to be fake, 
And, uh, you know, one of my questions was going to be, you know, how, how do you tell, uh, from, especially from a, an activism point of view, what, what is true and what is hype? And, you know, obviously there are so many massive debates about global warming and, and, and so on. But, uh, you know, when you actually see the effects in, in human beings, as you say, so rapidly, um, that, that's pretty much proof enough for me. Yeah, I, that that's the thing. Um, the the massive cover up that has happened in Pennsylvania, and part of that was um, Gasland documentary. A lot of that occurred in Pennsylvania. That's where it starts, right? North northwestern. I'm sorry, northeastern Pennsylvania, and 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 the southwestern New York, I guess. Or I'm sorry, geology evades me right now. Uh, geography. Um, but regardless of that, you know, when you look at what, um, oh shoot, the public Herald has done on research and FOIAing in, in, um, Pennsylvania and the cover up that has happened by the department of environmental protections about all the spills and contaminations that were never reported. The simple fact that people, noted that there that there were um pockets of methane bubbling up in their creeks with this clay gooey gushy stuff and you know the the government just wanted to cover it up like it's not just just fox it's it's a whole big cover up and it starts I mean take it back to 2005 with the Halliburton loophole you can't you can't prosecute you can't do anything to protect those things that give us life, and that would be water, air, and clean land to which we can grow our own food and create food security. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard that the uh, the letting tap water on fire had been like even debated or debunked or whatever. But it, it makes sense that the most sensational, eye-catching, literal you know thing is is uh, is focused on and then debunked, so everyone can kind of. You know, hey, calm down. It's all fine because that's what you want to hear. You don't want to hear that anything is wrong with your drinking water or the land that you're growing your crops on. <laughs> so that totally makes sense as the first thing they try and debunk, and then everyone kind of goes, "Oh, well, that's you know." Then we're all fine because who wants to believe this? Is it's like I said, it's horrifying, and I know it's it's Heroes One One Radio, and it's like as a hero, it's it's hard to just hear this and not want to instantly do something about it, you know, but what it feels kind of hopeless, right? I mean, from the average person listening, it does feel kind of hopeless. Well, the, the, the scope of the problem is so immense and I don't, have you seen Gasland too? No, I'm looking forward to it. Um, it, I have never I saw Gasland too, and I I don't like to show it to a lot of people who are faint of heart because it is so depressing. The EPA has abandoned us. So, you know, even at the federal level, it's bad enough to feel hopeless at your local level, but to think that there's an agency that has been charged with protecting our water, and yet they're not doing that. So, when there were debates as to whether or not fracking actually did contaminate water supplies and the EPA said, well, we'll do a national study. 
they abandoned the study. They, yeah. they EPA abandoned us, and that's what comes down to in Gasland too is how EPA just like basically goes, well, you know, we can't do anything about it, and they turn their backs on the people. They turn their backs on basically our planet. And that's when you just, like, step it up as an activist. You just ratchet it up and say, well, screw you. If you're not going to do anything about this, then I'm going to take matters into my own hands, and I'm going to learn to fight back with every tool that I can get. And that's where, you know, when you ask me about all these things I'm involved in, that's how I became involved in is because I don't want to just fight it with my politicians. I want to fight it tooth and nail, I'm going to learn how to do nonviolent direct action and protect my local communities by actually standing our ground. I'm going to learn the the ways that, that stuff gets into our, our supply chains and see if I can find choke points and work on stopping that. Like, that's why I was, I'm so tired. I was fighting a pipeline this morning. So you, you just find every tool in your toolbox um, and just... Man, you just go at it tooth and nail. You're just, I'm like, I'm, I've, if you could see me right now, I've got my dukes up. <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> um, and and, and I, 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 just, I don't want to kind of cut you off on, on your thought process there because I really do want to talk about the, the direct action. And, and I, you know, honestly, for me yeah. growing up, there, there was an equivalent to that in the UK, and it was some of the greatest bravery and courage I've ever seen in my life. But before we talk about that, um, there are a couple of people in the chat room that I wanted to kind of give a shout out to, and, and they've been debating <laughs> exactly what we've been talking about in, in text format. But um, there's someone in here called Impact who was, uh, who was saying, um, it's interesting that you brought up the whole drinking water loophole because the CWA, who, which mostly deals with land use and uh, the effects on drinking water, was just renewed. It's very interesting that lawmakers are more worried about sediment, nitrogen, and phosphorus than they are about these fracking chemicals. It's also funny that many professionals in the environmental field are so split on the issue. Um, yeah. But uh, our, our man in Illinois, uh, Treesong, um, was saying, and, and a really good point here, that uh, baseline testing is one way to prove that fracking has caused the pollution. Um, in communities where fracking hasn't happened yet, they can test their water, and that way if, if it gets polluted, they can obviously compare the polluted water against the baseline, and, and they'll have proof that fracking has happened. So I, I think that's a really, really good point. I wanted to add well, that is where that... Um, one of the situations that we find, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to ask, like, is that um, in places where fracking is happening, we're 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 dealing with a relatively um, poor population, and to come up with the money to get a, a full baseline and water test is about four hundred dollars in Illinois. And, you know, people are living hand-to-mouth here in southern Illinois. Um, So baseline water testing, we've tried to set up an account and, you know, do donations for people that really, really we feel like um, are in need and are in harm's way. But that is really difficult. If you were to look at um, the movie Triple Divide, um, talks about how people in Pennsylvania, even though they were proving that their water had been contaminated, the Department of Environmental Protection still weren't standing up for them. The movie's Triple Divide. It's an excellent movie. I highly recommend it. 
Yeah, see, tripledividefilm.org has a fracking documentary, yeah. Yeah, I was I was curious other- about that, about yeah how someone would 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 go about doing a baseline like is there a baseline home kit like no it probably has to be something that's documented and is very official so I imagine even just right. starting with fundraisers for that is a good starting point but yeah I think first you got to get people's attention. Well, and the other thing is, and you'll see if you go to publicherald dot org, is that you know drilling companies have a proprietary mixture and so to go testing for chemicals when we don't even know what chemicals we're using is really kind of like looking for a needle in a haystack and so by doing the baseline water testing you're looking for BTAX which is um, oh where's my list benzene, toluene, ethyl something or other and xylene you're looking for diesel methane uh, certain heavy metals and um, salt levels. And it, that's just a big thing. Like I said, it's about $4. Um, yeah. So until until companies, that's one of the other things in the Halliburton loophole, is they're exempt from sharing what kind of chemicals they're mixing in with the water. Again, it goes back to the Halliburton loophole. Wow. Are you... Are you ripping open your hero shirt already, Spectre? Are you, like, ready to jump <laughs> into know, action? It, I was just going to say, I mean, so, so in the chat room here, um, uh, Impact and Treesung were talking about exactly that. But um, Impact was saying, uh, it, when, when you bear in mind the fact that climate change, which has 97% of scientific support, is being debated, of course tap water igniting would be, which is... A fair point, but we, they were just talking about uh, the EPA. Tree Sung said uh, the EPA isn't protecting our water; it's up to local heroes to do it. Um, and, and then there was kind of, you know, some some conversation about the fact that um, the EPA went through so much trouble for a rewording of the CWA, which actually hasn't changed anything about what was being regulated. And it's, you know, it's not that there aren't people within the EPA who care; it's just that the uh, the system within which they work is so ineffectual. Their hands are tied. You know, like so many organizations, um, you know, when you get into bureaucracy, their hands really start to get tied with, you know, their scope of of um, enforcement and with what they can actually deal with. And then you start to get the runaround questions. One of the first things I did was went out and I thought I was testing water and we were doing conductivity testing in um what we would call the oil fields of southern Illinois, which is about an hour and a half north in Wayne County. And this gentleman comes up with this jug of water, and he's like, you know, would you test my water? And so we stick the conductivity probe in it. And all that does is measures the the amount of organic material in there that um, can conduct electricity, hence the name. And the little meter I had wouldn't register, wouldn't register. And I'm like, reset it. I recalibrated it. And it wouldn't register anything. And then he hands me the piece of paper that says um, he had his water tested through the university. And it was uh, unfit to drink and would cause severe health problems. And he said there was a disposal well that went bad right near my house. And ever since then, my well hasn't been fit to drink. It dissolved the copper pipes that were connected throughout his his trailer. Um, So... It, it's just 
when he we were trying to find out who was responsible, who he was supposed to talk to about his well going bad, they said, well, you call the public health department. Public health department said, call Illinois Department of Natural Resources. Illinois Department of Resources said, you need to call Office of Mines and Minerals. And they said, well, you need to call EPA. EPA said, you need to call the public health department. And so then that circle yeah. starts. And nobody wanted to claim responsibility. And nobody wanted to extend a helping hand to a tax-paying citizen. So, right, uh, I was never so frustrated in my life. I mean, to get that bureaucratic runaround and still no answers. And basically what eventually ended up saying, he's just white trash. He doesn't matter. Yeah, boy. And it's, so then then you're like, well, if he's white trash, then I guess the rest of us are because, you know, what what does it take to matter in this world? You know, so so then the the picture starts to expand at that point and I start to really understand you know a lot more about this idea of capitalism and consumerism and austerity measures and the occupy movement really started to hammer home about what the one percenters were versus the ninety nine percent. Wow, wow. So let me ask then, I mean, you kind of briefly touched on the fact that you, you were out there today, you know, doing fighting the good fight. What, what does that typically look like? On, on uh, I don't know whether you have an average day, but if you do, what is an average day in, in this kind of an occupation? Um, so in my occupation, it's so cute. <laughs> I, <laughs> I need a laugh break. I really do. Um, <laughs> Um, so yesterday, I headed north to Rock Island, which is about six hours north of me. I live at the very, very bottom of Illinois, basically where the where the confluence of the Mississippi and the Ohio come together. And um, I headed north to the Army Corps of Engineers uh, arsenal at Rock Island to deliver 350 signatures. Uh, to the Army Corps of Engineers stating to deny a pipeline permit. Uh, There's a new pipeline coming in from North Dakota, and it was going to cross the Mississippi River, and it connects to Padoka. Um, That's about an hour and a half north of me. Carrying 570,000 barrels per day of unrefined Bakken oil and Canadian petroleum products. And I'm just like they're trying to get eminent domain across each state, and the project's been segmented. And the reason it it's been segmented is because we saw what happened with Keystone XL. That was not a segmented pipeline. There was a lot of resistance that was created, and there was a is a huge movement of resistance, and uh, very powerful, and it worked, didn't it? So. Energy Transfer Partners figured out that that worked and they need to do the opposite of it. So they segmented the pipeline and in doing so, it doesn't require an environmental impact statement. So that was one of the things that I went up there to try to convince the Army Corps of Engineers that they should deny these permits and for the uh, Dakota access to cross 
just in Iowa, they're going to be crossing 65 waterways, and in Illinois, there's in in the northern portion, 44 waterways, and they were requesting a permit for each waterway. So I went up there to with Iowa citizens to ask them to not do that and to express our concerns and to express that you know we need to work on keeping the, keeping it in the ground. And we needed to work towards a renewable, sustainable future for future generations. So that was what the last two days have looked like for me. And and how did that go? Do, do you know whether you've had success there yet or not? Oh, okay, breaking you the bad news. Uh, we had no success. Uh, it was, again, it was one of those answers, this is not within our scope. It, we cannot... Uh, deny them the permits. We cannot de- deny them these these project plans. And so it, the, like the energy in the room just kind of got sucked out at that. Yeah. You don't. If you've never been involved in the fight, like I have not. I've come to this, like I said, as a mom, as an artist. Um, you don't understand all these agencies and their hierarchy and how they work. And as most of the people in the room were older landowners, they could have been my parents and or grandparents. And they, several of them were veterans of war. And they're like, you know, we fought for these rights. We fought for our country, we, you know, our bill of rights. This is what we went to war for. And now you're telling us that we don't have surface owner rights and you're going to put a pipeline in. I can't imagine going to war for my country and then and then having somebody tell you that you've got to give up, you know, a big chunk of your land to allow for a toxic pipeline to go in. Or in the case in Illinois, you've got to allow for two acres of your 40 acres to go to an oil well so that they can suck out the, the oil from beneath your, your, your neighbor's property. This, this loss of surface owner rights, um, is really heartbreaking. Uh, it's, it, but it is karma. So I mean, it's kind of hard for me to. I could talk about that if you want me to. I don't know what you. Maybe you guys want to ask more questions. I don't know. <laughs> well, you I know, mean, I guess I, I, I guess I did have one question. I, I mean, I guess to put more of a positive spin on it, I know you have had some positive impact and some success. I just wondered if you could, uh, you know, talk us through uh, the system that actually has has worked for you, um, you know, whether it's uh, <laughs> whether it's grassroots or direct action or, you know, whatever you find works. Well, um, what we did from the meeting today is that we did find out that there is um, that we can challenge the permit through the EPA, the US EPA. And so I feel like we did get some answers that might lead us down a better path than where we went today. So I I feel pretty good about that. Um, And I feel really good that over the course of four years, I've built up a hell of a network of people that when we were sitting there talking in the debriefing, it's like, well, who do you know that's in with the indigenous peoples because they've got to go through tribal negotiations. 
and who do you know over here? And so I felt like I'm like, you know, I've done a lot of networking. I can do this part. So um, networking and bringing people together, I I think, is one of my strong points. But in Illinois, we, even though, even though people are like, well, you guys lost in Illinois, you just better brace for fracking. Well, we held them off long enough that there hasn't been any high-volume horizontal fracking because the market totally took a crash. Um, so, you know, we did what we we worked hard enough and long enough and postponed hydraulic fracturing regulations, and we created a, an immense uh, response to the rules in Illinois, and we, we turned out loads and loads of people for the, um, the public comment period that um, we created 35,000 comments to the Illinois Department of Natural Resources, and they had to sift through every one of those comments and put them in like piles and then respond to those comments that the rules didn't go into effect. And at the time that they went into effect, that's about when OPEC opened up their, their um, spigots and started flooding the market with their oil. So then, you know, nobody wanted to go to Illinois to drill. So that was one of our big wins. I was pretty excited about that. And that was a joint collaborative effort across the state. Um, and well, that's what the, uh, you know, it, it was, it was really, really awesome. But, you know, as a hero, superheroes need to take breaks. And, um, that was really exhausting too. It was exhilarating and it was exhausting all in the same whoosh. Yeah. So there was a happy story. Um, locally, on my birthday last year, there was a um, just a conventional well, that but it's upstream from me. So we get our drinking water from a deep artesian well. Um, it's about a hundred. I'm sorry, 386 feet deep in the ground, and it, this was so funny. Um, local legislators thought we actually went out there and pumped it and got the water back out. And I'm like, no, we've got electricity, dude. I mean, we just, it's an electric pump. They, they thought I was like a hillbilly and I'm out there pumping my water up there. I'm like, I'm not a hillbilly. You know, <laughs> Nothing wrong with hillbillies. I love them. Um, but, um, so, but this conventional well went in and I had to go to the local government and demand accountability at the local government. And I just put a shout out on Facebook and I said, Hey, I'm going to go to the Union County Chamber meeting or commissioners meeting, I'm sorry. And I would like some support. There's a, a well going in less than two miles from my house, and we don't have any rules to protect our water here. And lo and behold, we filled the space. I mean, it was like just days' notice, and the space was filled to capacity of our county government was to put in a citizens advisory committee to look at how to protect our community from fracking and fracking infrastructure, trucks and water usage. And, you know, if we had man camps come in, man camps are when fracking comes to your area, they bring in tons of out-of-towners and all these 
um, mobile trailers and, and campers, and men live in and out the trailers while they're working on the drill pads. And there's usually high traffic, sex trafficking rates, drugs increase, drinking increases, and you have um, uh, large social issues that rural communities aren't used to dealing with. So, you know, um, when we walked out of that meeting, the the local county government said, well, yeah, I think maybe we can put in place a, a, um, a, a, a citizen's advisory committee to tell us, you know, how we can deal with these issues. So that was another one. These, these uh, man camps, how, how long are they typically around for? Are we talking three months or a year or, or, or even longer? Well, the, the man camps stick around as long as there's oil coming out of the ground. Oh, wow. Uh, I was just, yeah, so I was just up in Williston, North Dakota for the Extreme Energy Extraction Summit. And that's a gathering where a lot of frontline communities come together and talk about the frontline issues that they're dealing with. And with the down market, you saw these huge man camps. And they weren't just mobile trailers. They had set up what looked like barrack-style impoundments, for lack of a better word. I don't, you know, they they were just rows and rows of these large pole barn-style uh, residential units with eight-foot-tall barbed wire fencing around them, one way in and one way out, just back-to-back. And those were the man camps, and they were deserted. Now, those were the nice ones, really, um, because the oil, they weren't pumping the oil out of the ground because the market had dropped out. So here are these huge living quarters with nobody in it. I'm thinking about the homeless issues and some of the large in the cities, like there's all these housing units and nobody's living in them. But as you got out into the away from Williston, North Dakota, there were pockets of abandoned mobile trailers, like camper trailers. They were abandoned and just sitting there, like literally people just left everything there and went back from wherever they came from. So now these places in North Dakota have to deal with all this from what looks to be now another boom-bust situation. Yeah, that's incredible. And, you know, Tree Song is in our chat room and, and just said, you know, that he was going to mention um, man camps and says that they're one of the consequences of fracking that people hear less about, where you put a lot of overworked uh, out-of-town workers into a small space and, and, and bad things end up happening. One of the um, more recent reports, and it's been within the last two months, I wish I could recall the yeah, news article, but it talks about because the what happened is the men get stranded in the places they've gone to. They're shipping their money back from to where they came from. So um, when they lose their jobs, especially in Williston, how do they get back home? And so they're kind of stuck there in that small place on a limited amount of money. Their their the resources are dwindling, but they're seeing that crime rates are going up. And they're also seeing that uh, sexual trafficking and uh, child predatory acts are increasing in numbers. And because they're not 
overworked anymore. They're bored out of their mind, and so they're going out and getting in trouble. Sorry, I must admit my questions have all gone out of my head just in the you know, in imagining uh, how bad no. that must be. Well, <laughs> it's it's um, going up to one of the things they told us in Illinois, and I'm sorry this is so Illinois centered, but it's really my only reality that I know because that's the only place I've ever lived. Um, but what we repeatedly heard. And be the next Williston, North Dakota. We're going to be the next Williston. We're going to be awesome, just like the Bakken. We're going to be wonderful, and we're going to be flowing in that and on and on and on, right? And I go up there, and I'm saddened because the money, yeah, they've got a great big gigantic Walmart, and they've got a really big fancy casino, and then there's like all have four-lane, six-lane road infrastructures in the middle of North Dakota. And I just shake my head. I'm like, this isn't what I want Southern Illinois to become. Who in their right mind would want to turn their rural hillsides into a freaking massive, massive, I mean, a massive Walmart? I've never seen one so huge, you know, and store after store of the same a uh, box uh, cookie cutter restaurants and hotels. And it's like, I don't want that. I like my quiet community rural life. And it's, I don't know. It was really heartbreaking that people really want that for Southern Illinois. And I was like, eh, maybe I don't want to live in Southern Illinois anymore. Right. And you know, one thing. Okay. Is, Who's going to do the joke break? <laughs> well, you know, I, I was going to get even more melancholy, but uh, maybe maybe we need to take an about turn there. <laughs> well, I, I was, it sounded like I was reminded of the trip to like you know the Simpsons and the monorail comes in, and then you find out what happened to the last town, and you go and you find out it's like, oh no, nothing's good about the last town. <laughs> it all went just to shit, you know. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I. I I don't know. I, my thoughts just keep going to, okay, well, so what can you do? And you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, uh, networking with your community uh, and getting the message out. And, like, I think the last thing I heard, because I'm out here in California, Spectre's out there in New York, so you're right in the middle. And last I heard for California, I was like, nope, we're not going to do fracking. And then you kind of hear little snippets of, oh, yeah, they're they're trying to bring fracking in here. And you're like, there's no way. But just from what you've said alone, it's like they could probably do anything they wanted. And so it really is up to us citizens to band together and and collect those stories like what you were talking about and really start collecting them because once you hear these stories, you got to archive them so that you know you have a way to go back and research and and, and really keep track of this stuff. And what do you recommend for the average uh person where, where even a hint of fracking is going to come to their town uh, could do. One of the first things that I I think it's really important is to start having conversations with people. And like the cradle to grave idea really, really is important 
I know it's a big problem. We are all addicted to oil. You know, whether it's in the, the um, like I'm looking at the binder on my desk that's holding all my uh, research information, you know, from the computer that's sitting in front of me to the car that I drove up to Rock Island. We're addicted to oil in this country. And you have to very delicately approach that conversation with people. And sometimes it happens better by it happening through a movie, which is why mm-hmm. Gaslam was pretty and I, I really like Josh Fox. He's a nice guy. Um, but sometimes it's just too much for people to wrap their head around. I, you know, try split. A st- I always think a movie is a good way to start to have that conversation. And that's why I like Triple Divide a lot is because it talks about um, water issues and, you know, who doesn't drink water or need water? I mean, you can't make beer with fracked water. Let me tell you that. So if you're talking to somebody mm-hmm. who likes really good craft beer, you start talking about you can't make beer with fracked water. You can probably have a pretty good conversation with people. And start that's to really have, point. you know, hey, where does the water you know, where does your water come from? Where did, you know, you can't make good bourbon whiskey with fracked water, which yeah. was a conversation I had when I went over to, to Louisville. Like, you guys, you know, fracking's coming to this area. What are you doing to protect your water supply so that you ensure that you're still making the quality bourbon whiskey that you've been making for several hundred years? You know, when you have a conversation to relate it back to something that somebody cares passionately about, and, you know, a lot of people in southern Illinois, it's the wineries that we have around here and the organic food that we grow. So it was pretty easy to approach people and talk to them about how to maintain that which we have grown to love and how start having that conversation based on where that person's at, what they enjoy, and how uh, extreme energy extraction can jeopardize that. That's an excellent point. Of course, here out in then, California, we're we're such in such a severe drought. We're really protective of our of our water as it is. <laughs> it's like, please don't destroy anything we got left. <laughs> right. Well, sadly, <laughs> in in California, is that it's my understanding, and I'm not real sure because I haven't been keeping up with California. My apologies is that the oil producer or the the oil companies and industries are not held to the same um, regulations that people are. So they're being allowed to use water to extract oil, but yet you are being, you know, um, I can't even think of the word, it's getting late. You know, you can't use that much water. You're on a ration. And then they're taking... They're taking the the residual of fracking waste, the fracked water, and that's what they're going to water all those uh, vast farms out there with. You did know mm. that, right? Which Tell just me seems you did. like a, it just seems like a criminal act in itself. Like how, how can you it's, even do that? How is that even legal? It's crazy. It should not be legal. But because there's no um, laws that say they can't, um, they are because you are in a severe drought. 
Is that because it's considered recyclable water? Is that why, like, they're able to do it? That uh, they've probably done some very basic cleaning of the water and recycling of it that they can do that. But again, um, there's radioactive elements in in fracking waste water that haven't even been talked about in this conversation yet. So. Uh, it, I, I wouldn't want my my little uh, tangellos and my mini yellows. I, I quit buying them because that was one of the things that they were spraying or watering the fruit trees with was the fracking waste. And my daughter doesn't need that in her body. It's altered yeah. everything I do in my life. Everything. You know, from where does this water come from? Where does this beer come from? The ice cream in the freezer comes from Pennsylvania, and I, I, I just don't want to look and see where it's really at, located at in Pennsylvania because then I'll stop buying this ice cream that I like. You know, so like everything is affected by, by my learning about fracking. Yeah, it's kind of that Pandora's box. A lot of these issues are. And you were right. Like a lot of people just don't even want to hear it. And you do have to bring it up in a conversation that is more inclusive than as exclusive as the Gasland documentary is. It's very, it's very eye-opening. But at the same time, it's like, I don't want to see that. You'll hear that. I'll hear that from a lot of my friends. Like, I don't want to hear about it. Like, don't tell me where my stuff comes from. I'm alive and happy. I was like, well, yeah, but at one point you won't be, or you'll you know, get a note from your doctor saying you got cancer. And you're like, why me? Well, right. <laughs> Maybe well, you should have paid a little more attention. Yeah, know. it's it's time to wake up. It's it's really time. It's it's and it's not just. It gets down to a, a colonial imperial mentality that has in, been ingrained in the system that we've all grown up in. This top-down hierarchy that you know they know what's best for us, and just just sit down. We'll take care of everything for you. You just go about your way and play on your little iPhone gadget thing with your head down. Don't pay attention to the elephant in the room kind of idea that really has uh, provoked me into all these areas of work um, that that I've. I've been heavily involved in for four years now. Yeah. Well, what do you think, Simon? What's something we can do or a specter well, that we can do? You know, I must admit, you know, there, there's some active conversation again in the chat room about exactly this, um, you know, both around uh, what can we do, uh, you know, what can we do instead of oil? You know, what alternatives do we have? Because until we uh, until we do have an alternative form of energy, we're essentially uh, shit out of luck, as he was saying in the chat room here. And, and yeah. unfortunately, nobody there has any magical answers. Um, and similarly, around uh, the, you know, around where do we start in terms of uh, combating fracking, um, as, as you said, there are uh, Tree Song says here there there are different types of uh, activism. There are petitions, there are movie showings, checkbook activists, nonviolent direct action. Um, I'm just interested, Tabitha, from your point of view, where, where do you think is the best place for, you know, you say kind of networking with people and raising awareness. Once we get a decent sized group of people together, where would you recommend they go from there um, to start to combat this? Well. Um 
I mean, it really all depends on where you are. I mean, you're in New York, so it's a wonderful thing that they ban fracking. Um, in places like Ohio and Kentucky and Illinois, where it's just getting off the ground, um, in place, especially in Kentucky, it's a lot of grassroots organizing. And at that point, I think it's it's really wise to talk about what what sort of strategies you're going to take. And different groups need to do different strategies. Um, and And I don't mean to be ageist in this, but... You know, older people aren't the ones that are going to lock down to fracking equipment. So you've got to think about what different strategies. There's there's going about it um, at a at a political strategy at the local level and the state level and the federal level. And then there is the organizing on the ground and creating financial resources to do all the above. And then there's the nonviolent direct action that a lot of people, uh, we've seen a lot of activity in the last couple of weeks starting to raise awareness about um, flooding, flood the system through tide. Um, and that's just trying to bring awareness to the way climate issues involve so many things other than just the planet. I mean, it's basically a collision uh, between the climate and capitalism. And so flooding the system is a great way to get involved on the more radical side. And if you're more conservative, you might look at, at talking to your local group about the Community Bill of Rights, in which, you know, you talk about um, innate rights of nature and human beings to coexist in a healthy, happy environment, and what does that look like at, uh, you know, at a local level with a resolution? Yeah. Did that yeah. An- did that answer your question there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I must say, I, I was uh, I kind of inferred it earlier on when when I was a kid growing up in the UK, there was a a big um, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> sorry a major road that was being built through a, a very old forest and and they were going to knock most of this forest down and uh, a, a group of people went into the forest and they they basically dug themselves under the ground in tunnels under where the road was going to be built um so that the the bulldozers and the diggers couldn't come through and 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 do their work and and literally they 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 would bury themselves under the ground in the in these tunnel complexes in the knowledge that if these bulldozers did come over they were dead you know they were toast um and uh, and they were there for months absolutely months and and people would go and donate them food to kind of keep them from starving um all the way through a really bitter winter as well and um and you know the media attacked them they called them hippies and hobos and what have you but um and and you know environmental terrorists and and, and I, I believe they were associated with greenpeace at the time as well this was probably in the in the mid 80s um and, and they were absolutely vilified in public, but to a lot of people when I was growing up, those guys were heroes. And, you know, I, I, I'm not one to say whether, you know, direct nonviolent action is right or wrong. And, and you know, and, and they, there certainly was an aspect of what they did, which was, was probably on, on the more extreme side where they were sabotaging equipment and, and, and so on, which, you know, would, would be frowned on by anyone, I think. 
Um, but at the same time, so many people saw them as, as heroes, you know, risking their lives for for nothing but trees. And, uh, you know, and, and when it comes to the water supply, I'm, I'm sure there are people who do the same kind of thing. Um, you know, it's debatable. I guess it's an individual choice as to what you feel about that. But for me personally, um, I would applaud it as, as pure bravery and courage. Yeah, and, you know, again, it's meet the 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 activist, the person you're talking to at the level that they're at, you know, if the the people that I was with today, they're not ready for, for, you know, doing blockades on their farms. Not yet, but I bet it's coming. Um, So, you know, those things, but I don't, I don't advocate that anybody just go out there. I think it's really important. And that's one of the things I've been doing too, is training people um, on nonviolent direct action and getting them, if I can't get them trained in what they want to do, get them the training that they need to have before they move forward. So, you know, there, um, I, I mentioned rising tide earlier. Um, they, they do trainings for nonviolent, nonviolent direct action. And, um, I've been to a Greenpeace training camp twice. And then, um, you know, right. Uh, Rainforest Air, I'm sorry, Rainforest Action Network also does training. So, you know, there that can provide you with level of assistance and training if that's where you want to go with your superhero powers. Um, it always feels better if you walk into a situation and you're properly trained, you don't even have to use it. You know, that's the great thing is that you know, it just it's it's about organizing people and it's about protecting people and the places we love, which that's one of the reasons I, I joined Heartwood is that's their motto. Helping people protect places they love. Right. Yeah, right. Very cool. and, you know, I I can't imagine there's anyone who would disagree with that motto. You'd be kinda of crazy, right? Yeah. Well, you know, but we're radicals because we want to protect water and land and air, but from people who want to, you know, poison it, crazy nut jobs. <laughs> <laughs> well, That's what drives me nuts. It's like, really? I'm a crazy person for protecting my water from getting toxic chemicals in it? Yeah. What are you smoking? <laughs> like, you just, I just. I don't get it. I like water is water is life. And without water, what happens? We don't make it very far. So why wouldn't you protect the one thing that gives you life and sustains you? Well, there's three things. Um, You know, it's, it's water, clean water, clean air and clean land. And without those three things, you, you can't grow the body to do your work on planet Earth. So I'm going to do what I can to protect those things. All right. Absolutely. Um, you, know, you mentioned you were in, you're, you're, you're in the arts or artist, right? So that's, oh, yeah. that's more the line of, of what, where I'm at. So I, you know, I run a, another podcast about just, you know, artists geeking out about, cause we're, we're fairly geeky people, but <laughs> In, in that sense, it's like you could even just get together a nice image or a, or a story, even a flyer, to help educate people and, and really, you know, bring visual awareness. Or, you know, I'm just trying. I'm just kind of, you know, 
brainstorm? Oh, you can create create yeah. plays. Plays are are lost art these days. And uh-huh. to create those short little uh-huh. skits and use in can do skits. We did a a puppet um, cardboard puppet play before one of our fundraisers a couple years ago, and it was a really big hit. Um, to create the, all these really gigantic, strange, you know, cardboard puppets that, you know, talk about how awful fracking is. And puppets are cool. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Um, Street theater, it's fun. Yeah, I mean, even just when you when you brought up, you know, these landowners, you didn't just call them landowners, you call them surface landowners, which already brings in the idea of you're only owning the surface you stand on and that other people have the power to just run whatever they want right underneath you and tough luck for you, which even just, yeah. that, just having an, just having an infographic about that alone is already like how many, how much rights do you really have? Especially look at fracking, like, you know, just already a visual of like an evil monster coming under your your land, you know. It's sure it's propaganda ish, but at the same time, it's like, hey, this happens, and you better be aware of how much how much rights you do and don't have, you know, or well, think you have. Right. Well, when you buy a piece of land, if I mean, if in fact you believe in buying a piece of land, you you want to make sure you own your mineral rights. Otherwise, you're going to end up with a split estate issue like this gentleman an hour north of me has. Um, he's like, well, nothing has happened there. They sold the minerals out from under it uh, 150 years ago for $3,000. And huh. at the time, that was a chunk of money. That's a lot of money, right? Sure. But now it's coming back to haunt him here 150 years later, whatever it is. And he's losing his happiness on his piece of land that he thought was safe and secure. So, yeah, there's and what I was trying to talk him into is like, hey, you've got a heck of a, a supply of of metal back there, and I know that there has been an artist who determined that the top six inches of soil and the art sculptures he put on top were something that the fracking companies couldn't take away. He copyrighted his land and the sculptures he put on it, and it stopped fracking from happening. So, you know, I'm like, hey, we create a bunch of really cool sculptural pieces in the place that they want to put that well pad. Let's do it. And he's he's looking at me like, "Um, I think I'll talk to my lawyer first. (laughs) I'm all for it, man. I will build a. I'll build a pyramid right now. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, something archival that also protects your land. Oh yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. Doesn't that sound like fun? And, and I could like really brush up on my welding skills. Oh yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, so, I, uh, things I'm like sorry, that. I know you. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dan. No, go for it. Go for it. I just my my imagination is stimulated, and that's what I like. I like creative solutions. So there you go. I'm I'm jazzed. Go for it, Simon. Uh, 
our inspectors. No, cool. So, um, Tabitha, I know you also sent me some some links, um, which we're going to share on the uh, on on the archive of this show. We'll put the links in the chat room, and we'll also put them on the uh, the Facebook page and wherever else we, we post the archive. But I just wondered if you wanted to, to do a quick uh, a quick synopsis of uh, of what those links are, and and uh, you know, to kind of uh, entice people down that road. So I sent you a link to. Let me go back to it and make sure. Um, so one of the other things, um, one of our lo- more local uh, campaigns that's really driven me to like a designated territory is the Shawnee National Forest. Um, right now, as it stands, fracking can happen on public lands, and so. Um, there is a national campaign, and I've been work, working with Food and Water Watch about banning fracking on public lands. And so this website directs you to Food and Water Watch's organization, and they have wonderful fact sheets. I mean, you were asking earlier about places to go to get um, get the source and make sure it's real source. Um, double check your sources with Snopes. If, if in doubt, check Snopes. But Food and Water Watch has amazing resources, and everything is triple fact-checked. And so at the bottom of this web link, there is a a fast fact page that you can print off and hand to somebody. We're like, well, why wouldn't we want fracking on public lands? And it it goes through all that. And then you can sign the petition, too. So that's what we're going to be working on over the next year. Um, Another one is a website for SAFE, Southern Illinoisans Against Fracturing Our Environment. Um, that's also a way you can and reach me and connect with me. If you want to just send me an email, great. You can do that through don'tfractureillinois.net. There's a lot of resources on there. We're trying to update it. You know, If you want to support the work that I'm doing here in Southern Illinois with a large group of people, it's not just me. I've got a team behind me. Every superhero has a team. And, um, you know, you could send a, you know, a large donation. I'm totally cool with that. Um, and, and <laughs> Come on, guys. You aren't laughing on the other end. What's up? <laughs> I thought you were being serious. I, love I was going to encourage that. I'm thinking. Oh, okay. Why wouldn't, you, why wouldn't you want to, why wouldn't we a large chunk of money landing in your lap to help your cause? Of course. That's, who doesn't because want I've been that? working That's great. For- Four years and not getting a single paycheck. So um, it's about yeah. time uh, this become a real job and not just a hobby. Um, so, but the last one is because every newer are Facebook uh, friendly. Um, our biggest network right now is Fight Fracking in Southern Illinois, Protect the Shawnee, and that has a reach of about I think 3,500 people uh, across uh, Facebook world. But it's also in the top 100 sites for fracking, um, uh, for fracking information. So if you um, if you want to click on that and like it, uh, we try to keep the site updated with news that's happening. Everything's been kind of a little bit slow here lately, but click and hopefully get the word out about you know new information that's coming out. Um, so. Those are the three uh, websites that I'm sending you to. But you can also visit heartwood.org, 
which is um, the 17-state organization that works on protecting the places that we love, helping people protect the places we love, um, and uh, see all the different things that they're doing to protect our public lands. And, um, you know, from deforestation to, to mineral extraction to coal mining, uh, a lot of things happen on public lands that we don't realize uh, until it's gone. And so uh, Heartwood is a, is a 25-year-old organization that's done a lot of really awesome things. So you can check them out, too. Awesome, and we will uh, we'll share all of those links on the uh, Facebook and the website and, and all the usual places that we spam things to uh, keep people informed. Okay, sounds great. Thank you so much. Very uh, cool, um, yeah. So, you know, I guess we're, we're kind of in the last few minutes of our show here. Um, any, uh, I guess, Tabitha, from you, any other kind of uh, last nuggets of wisdom or maybe events that are coming up that you wanted to plug and, and uh, generate a bit of hype for that uh, are worth talking about right now? Oh, do I have anything I want to hype? Not really off the top of my head. I'm so tired from my last <laughs> two days. Um, but, you know, I do want to go back to Edward Abbey. Uh, sentiment without action is the ruin of the soul. And I think it's time that we put the rubber to the road, so to speak, and we step up a notch with um, the level of activism that we have been doing and start to to do a little bit more and to start to reach out into our communities, start to gather our tribes and our communities that we really resonate with and start to make some shifts because it's not just in the environmental world and it's not just in, you know, urban populations. There's a whole, there's a huge shift that needs to happen. And so back to what you said in the first 10 minutes, you know, do something, do something. And if that means you're just going to pick up a uh, triple divide or split a state or gas line two and show it in your living room, well, you're doing something, but then take it just a little bit further. And maybe you need to organize and reach out to some of those organizations that I mentioned, whether it's Food and Water Watch or your local 350 group or what's happening with Americans Against Fracking and just kind of step and see how you can get a little bit more involved in the issue that resonates with you and create passion um, that drives you further and propels you into uh, a new world that we all want to see. I, yeah, you know, I couldn't agree more. And, and from my own experience of being involved in, in various types of outreach and, and activism programs over the last uh, five or ten years or however long it's been, um, as much as I feel like I've helped other people, you know, I, I could be very selfish and say that I've grown enormously from, uh, you know, the people that I've met, you know, the experiences that I've had and, and the uh, the adventure that it's been. So uh, you know, even if you're just looking for a roller coaster of a time, there, there's no better place to have that. Yeah. Yeah. Creating those communities are really important in this time. And, um, you know, SAFE is going to have a, 
a meeting in in two weeks and I think heck I think most of the time we just get together so we can just get together and have a potluck afterwards and we're going to be celebrating <laughs> birthdays and dancing on this one I mean it's literally that's that's how communities grow um it's just it's just a beautiful thing my community just happens to be growing bigger and bigger and across many states at this point so it's it's exciting evolution yeah I like what a tree song put in the chat room saying that all the orgs that you've, the organizations that you've mentioned, uh, in addition to yourself, of course, would all be happy to accept donations. If there's anybody <laughs> who has got pockets to donate money, um, cause you all work hard on your shoestring budgets. That's absolutely true. So I, I do work with yeah, a lot of artists. Yeah. Right. And as, and as artists, we come to the table kind of already under, without a whole lot we'll we'll draw you a picture but don't usually come to the table with wads full of cash i tell you what i do work with a team of artists over there and you know the tech people unfortunately you know the devices we hold and and distract ourselves with them you know we help build them the apps that you're working with but uh you know the artists are well paid and i say hey man you know y'all want to give back here you go and i do know people like that so i'll definitely be pointing them your way and to these other uh organizations you mentioned and, and these these wonderful films you've shared with us today i i didn't know about them past gasland so thank you for that it's been great good show specter it's yeah. awesome you only got a little bit and, of time yeah left, i must so. say you know we're we're, uh, we're less than a minute to, from the end of the show so uh, <laughs> i'm afraid we've burned through all of the time that we had allotted but uh, i gotta say thank you enormously tabitha for joining us on the show it's been really really educational and, and inspirational it's uh, I really appreciate your time it's my pleasure I appreciate uh, being on. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. No, thank you. And we're trying to uh, do our best to raise awareness. And uh, and uh, Dan Amater, Dan from uh, from Geekpile, thanks for, for coming on and supporting me. And uh, uh, hopefully uh, rock and roll will be uh, healthy and better for next week. Oh, yeah. She's resting up, and her voice will be back sh- soon enough. But yeah, thanks great. for having well, me. Well, uh, thank you for uh, thank you for Tree Song and Impact and all the people in the chat room. Thank you to our listeners. And we will see you again next week. <laughs> Wrap it up there. <laughs> you're, you're still on the That'll air. That'll do. <laughs> That's the end of the show. Well, <laughs> oh my goodness, crazy music. Yeah, it's crazy music. Right? Yeah, yeah, I don't know what was happening there. Thank you so much, Dad. <laughs> it's been awesome. Oh, thank you. No problem. Send me an email if you guys have more questions or follow-ups. Will do, absolutely. Cool. Thank you very much, guys. Good night. You be well. Good night, night. everybody. Good night.